Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the window. I am Dr. I and I am looking out the window of the station, 1580thepraise.com and the sun is looking back at me. And you know who put the sun in the sky? Only God can do that. And I'm sitting next to my beautiful esteemed colleague, Dr. Joe, and she is bringing the spirit of the Lord into this room. And I just want to say I am glad to see you and uh, tell us how you feel today. I'm glad to be back live in the studio. Some of you who know me know that I have been on a, a little sabbatical. I, I tested my wings as a snowbird to see if I could go to another part of the country for just a few weeks and do me. And it was wonderful, but there's no place like home. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad to be back. And, and, and you, you brought a spiritual aspect in as soon as we started. And so as we record this today in our hometown of Columbus, Ohio, we're talking to all of you who are listening across the country. I am very cognizant of the fact that for those of us who practice the Christian doctrine, that this is the start of a Lenten season. This week starts the Lenten season. That's not to acknowledge that there are those of you who are listening who are in other denominations, but but always within your faith, there's some time when the focus is just on stopping to reflect. And so I hope that we don't just speed through our days without taking advantage of the chance to really think about who we are and whose we are and why we're here and what we're purposed to do. And there's just no better time to do that in a Lenten season that, again, as we speak, marks what may be a turning point in COVID. We don't know what's going to happen once people start taking off these masks Mm -hmm. and, and backing off from the booster. But all indications are that we obviously come a lot farther than we were and a lot of thanks is due to those of you who did step up to the plate and said we will get vaccinated Mm -hmm. and we will get boosted and we will wear a mask and and we're not even going to talk about whether that's meant to be an indictment on those who did not i'm not in that kind of spirit today where i will say anything negative about that other than to say thank you we've come this far by faith but we've also come this far by people who did just join together and i'm i'm glad that our country shows some signs of still being able to do that in the midst of all this divisiveness and and dr i when i were talking about the show about what's going on in ukraine how the ukrainian people are just not going to sit still and let a madman and his Minions, some some of whom don't even believe in the cause, aren't as stunned as we are, as to the utter inhumanity. And so, no matter what your politics, no matter what your your international understanding, when you look at the faces of people who are getting bombed out of their homes, children, mm-hmm. children mm-hmm. ripped away. If there's not something in you that feels like that's just wrong. That's just evil, no matter what the politics are, the bottom of it, it's just evil. If you don't feel like that, then I'm just guessing you got some issues that you need some help with. And don't be fooled to think that there aren't people that look like us over there. I was watching to see who was who were the victims. African people are over in the Ukraine and they are being bombarded and and uh hit just like everybody else and so um let's all pray for them let's pray for an end to this um could it it could happen here it could happen anywhere 
But for right now, let's pray for the people in Ukraine. And we've never done this on our show before, and we're about to bring on some guests who are going to talk to us about what this season we're in right now means to us personally, in a very personal way, how are our finances being impacted by what's been going on and where we are now. But what we've never done before in the window is to just, as we transition into bringing on these guests, to just ask everybody listening, just pause for 10 seconds. I won't even say for a moment, but 10 seconds of prayer or meditation or just a deep breath to just say, we're moving forward now. We're moving forward in a, in a, in a way that's hopefully graceful and peaceful and focused there's still a lot going on but i've never known divisiveness to lead to anything but more divisiveness amen let's get rid of it Mm -hmm. just a moment amen amen now for our guest joe yes um there is a person that i've known for I'm going to say 30, 35 years that um, I trust implicitly with advice uh, that pertains to finances. And he is on the line today, Ira Turpin. He's a former Buckeye. So you know he's got to have some good qualities if he's from the the Buckeye state. But in any event, he is an investment advisor and he's been doing this work for 30 plus years and every time i've gone to him for advice on an investment or what i should do i get the truth and that's why he's here today so welcome ira turpin hello dr iris and hello dr joe greetings 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 how you doing i'm doing wonderful thank you so very much and thank you for uh, this wonderful uh, moments that we're going to be spending together along with your audience. I'm really looking forward to discussing what's on people's minds. Um, and I have to say hello to your lovely wife, too, who I met in the, in the colonial room at Lazarus yep. a long time ago. And yep. you said, you look like you'd be a good friend for my wife. And that's how it all started. And that's he sent her over to my table, and we've been friends ever since. And we're our birthdays are back-to-back, so yep, it was divine. Are. It was divine. But in any event, yep. Ira, what, yes. the, what the heck is going on in this world? <laughs> well, you know, the thing that we've got to recognize is the fact that what's going on now has always gone on. It just will manifest in different ways, and, it, and to the depth and the severity of it, it will depend upon the times that we're in. These things aren't new. They really are not new. They're reoccurring. Um, so there's always going to be people with a particular view, and there's going to be people who have a different view. And sometimes those differences clash with one another, and that's what we're seeing. Now, there's a lot of good going on. Don't overlook the good, but there's also a lot of challenges also. So can you connect the dots from what's going on uh, in Europe and Ukraine to what we see here in the United States in terms of the investment market? Well, the thing about Europe and Ukraine uh, and Russia, they're part of a, of a global market. And what happens on one side of the earth 
is going to take place and impact the other side of the earth. There's always going to be things like interest rates, the economy, um, interactions between people, interactions between countries, and all of these interactions and events have consequences. Now, we automatically think of consequences in a negative capacity, but there can be positive consequences also. But right now, what is being shown to all of us in, in high definition is the fact that the world events are having a negative impact on the, on the capital markets, um, but that's not bad news. You're going to have to explain that for us on the ground. <laughs> okay. Here's what you, what, what, I, what I try to encourage my clients to do is I, I try to help my clients to understand that don't think of the capital markets or any market because when you look at the word market, there's a stock market, a bond market, a treasury market. There's a real estate market. There's a supermarket. There's an automotive market. There's all kinds of markets throughout the world. And when you go into the market, what are you doing? You're shopping. And when you shop, you're looking for discounts. You're looking for value, a la Warren Buffett. He's a value investor, meaning that the value of an investment or a value of a given item is higher than the actual price. And the difference between those two is the value. So I don't look at markets as being good or bad. What I try to encourage my clients to do is think of opportunities. When do you make the best return on your investment? Is when you buy it at a discount. When you went to shop for your house, you ask for a discount. When you went to shop for a car, you bought. You, you look for a discount. When you go to the, the retail clothing racket, you look for discounts. We always look for sales in all of the markets except one. We never look for, for sales in the capital markets when it comes to investments. People always talk about buy low, sell high, and in reality, people buy high and sell low. So what I'm saying to you is that don't think of markets as good, as bad, or, as good or bad. Think of opportunities. Become a market opportunist. And that's how I approach managing my clients' portfolios. Because I'd rather buy Apple Computer after the split back in August uh, the 31st of 2020, after it had split four for one, and it cut the price from $400 to $100, we bought it, and now Apple Computer is around $166 a share. We bought it at 100 That's value, okay? And so what I hope everybody will at least take from my comments today is don't be concerned about whether it's a good or bad market because there's always good opportunities in both markets. So what about those, if we really break it down now to our day-to-day -day lives, what about those of us who would like to retire someday <laughs> or those people who have retired and they're relying on their investments and they see volatility and they hear what you're saying? What thoughts do you have for us? Well, here's what you got to remember. Think about the fact that there's only so much that you have direct control over. You have no control. I have no control. None of us have any control over what the capital markets are going to do. So you focus in on knowing what they're doing, and then you also focus in on what you do control. 
you control what you do with your own purse and how you spend your money. So now, what I have encouraged my clients to do, and will continue to encourage my clients to do, especially in times like this, is number one, talk to your financial advisor in terms of what your portfolio is doing and review it in relationship to the written plan that you have in place and make the adjustments. And then if you don't have a financial advisor, get one. I tell people all the time, don't go it alone. Those four words, don't go it alone. A neurosurgeon doesn't and can't operate on himself. A dentist won't pull his own tooth. So when you start practicing on yourself and you don't have the proper knowledge and training, you're going to leave something out. You're experts, the two of you, in your field. I'm an expert in my field. If I need to know what's going on in your field, I'm not going to try to figure it out myself. I'm going to come to you. Just like, as, as Dr. Iris has said, she's come to me about her financial concerns. So what a person should be doing right now is finding out where they are, matching that with what's going on in the capital markets, and make the adjustments accordingly. Control what you can control. And have somebody that you can walk this path with. Somebody who can guide you, or somebody who can lead you, somebody who you can ask questions of, and somebody, most important of all, who cares about you. So how do you find a financial advisor? First, one that you can trust, and second, one that you can afford. Well, all good questions. I mean, it's, it's, it's not any different than when you found your dentist, when you found your doctor, when you found a, a good teacher. Um, you basically, like we always do, is that we look for a referral. We talk to friends. Who do you know? What do you feel about them? We talk to family. Who have you been using mom and dad all this time? We talk to colleagues. Who do you know that you've been using? And then you sit down with them and you have what I call a discovery interview. You don't walk in the door and start talking about what your concerns are. In the first meeting, you walk in the door and you start talking about, well, tell me about your investment style. Tell me about how you take care of your clients. Tell me about your meeting strategies. Tell me about what you won't do. Tell me about what you will do. So you go through a interview, what I call a discovery interview process, and then you want to make sure that how do you feel about this person, not only their expertise, but what kinds of, of emotional and and, and personal feelings do you have about this uh, this person and the big word trust do you trust them so it's it's not a mystery you do it just like you do everything else in life when it comes to selecting a financial advisor ira at what point do you go to a financial advisor if you have two hundred dollars saved up or two thousand when do you begin thinking like you got some money? As soon as you start earning a dollar bill. Oh. See, it doesn't matter how much you have, at least in my practice, 
and in, in most financial advisors' practice, we're not concerned about how much you have. We're not concerned about how much you don't have. What we're concerned about is taking what you have and transforming it into what it can become. I mean, I have clients. I've been, I know, Iris, you were talking about how long I've, I've served clients. This is my 46th year. I have clients that have been with me 45 of those years, okay? And I have clients that started out with $100 a month, and now they're retired. They're millionaires. They've retired and moved out of the Washington, D.C. area all up and down the East Coast. I have from Florida all the way up to New York State. And they've sold property here because we paid off houses. And they took that cash and they bought new houses and paid cash for it and had money left over. But that would have never happened if they didn't at least explore and ask the question. So you only have $100 a month or $10, whatever it is. See, the thing about accumulating wealth is not the investment, it's not how much, it's called time. It's called the time value of money. So the earlier you start, which means you ha won't have as much money when you're 20, in your 20s, the earlier you start, you can have a time frame of investing from your 20s all the way into your 60s. The later you start, well, now you've got a shorter time frame. Now you probably have to invest more. But the point of the matter is you don't let how much money you have or how much money you don't have. It's the reality of saying what you want to, what you want to have and where you want to be at the end point. Where do you want to be? So we have a plan then. And... All of a sudden, one of those things happens that you say we can't control, and that's where we are now. We get to, sick. We get sick, mm -hmm. okay? Or we go to the gas station, and gas is suddenly $5 a gallon. Or we, we go to the grocery store and can't afford it. Beef, so let's, beef yeah. prices. So let's talk, we mentioned illness, and we talked about, I guess, what we could put in the category of inflation. We just have a few minutes before break. So let's start with illness, those those unexpected, out of control. That's a dramatic example, but the car breaks down, and you weren't expecting to have to spend $2,000 this month. What do we do about that? Well, that's going to be an altogether different challenge if you haven't done anything before then, you know, I mean, that's what the whole idea of saving and investing, planning and managing is all about. You're, 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 you're doing that for retirement goals. You're doing that for educating children. And you're also doing that for the, the uh, unannounced um, uh, events in life that come upon us. Um, that's where the budgeting comes in. Now, if you've gotten in a situation and, and you have that shortage, well, I mean, the typical thing that people end up doing is that they try to rely on family. If they don't have family to rely upon, then that becomes even more of a challenge to overcome, you know, getting a, a, an oil change and you don't have money for an oil change. All I'm saying is that what we always have to do is that we have to anticipate the fact that it's sun shining today, but we could have rain tomorrow because the proof in the pudding is that the day before yesterday, before the sunshine, we had rain. Okay? So 
I don't think that I'm giving you the, the answer that, that covers a situation where a person hasn't planned for it. I'm just saying that it's important for you to take into consideration all of the contingencies in advance. Ira, we have to take a break right now, but when we come back, I would like to um, ask you to explain the different stages of the economy from recession to wherever it could go for our listeners. But we will be right back on the window in just a few minutes. Okay. We're back on the window, and we're talking to um, an investment expert, Ira Turpin. And Ira, can you break down for our audience the different stages of the economy, and what stage are we in right now? Well, the stages, um, they're going to evolve on a continuous, slow uh, a basis, and depending upon you know what direction it goes on, depends upon what's going on in the world. Where we are right now is that we're in, in an economy where we have inflation. Inflation is an aspect of the economy, and it's it's high inflation. It's about seven and a half percent. This is not something that just happened today. Inflation has been coming all along. I mean, when you look at what drives inflation, typically it's a matter of supply and demand. Um, it's a matter of investor sentiment. Investor sentiment is basically how you and I and your listening audience and all of us feel about what's going on in our personal lives. The investor makes up two-thirds of the economy. If we feel good, the economy advances. If we feel bad or if we feel threatened or if we feel uh, unsure, then the economy declines. And then there has to be the issues with regard to interest rates, labor supply shortages, um, and, and in general, what is being done about that. Unemployment that a lot of people think of right now is only at 3.8%. We had a jobs report yesterday where there were 698,000 jobs created in February. So we're in what I would say is probably the, the latter stages of the economy because what the economists are saying, particularly the Federal Reserve, is saying is that by raising, uh, uh, by, by getting interest rates un, under control, by raising them, um, this will have an effect on the economy, and they're thinking that by the end of this year that the economy should be improved. I won't say it would be much improved because we don't know. But we're in, I would say, in the, the issue of an inflationary economy, we're, we're in the thick of it. We're probably right in the middle of it uh, because there are other things that are going to take place to, to begin to get the economy under control. So we hear about things that are being done that, that based on my limited knowledge, appear to be a way to try to fight back inflation or or help us fight back against inflation like for those who are working at minimum wage increasing the minimum wage does that help our economy as a whole when you think about the economy what is it based upon it's based upon 
as you well know, money. <laughs> and it's based upon the transference of goods and services. So that as the wage earners' income increases, that means that people will have a tendency, more of a tendency to spend. Um, and if we have the flow of money increasing in the economy, typically that has an impact on prices and on goods and services. We, we have a, a, a challenge. You remember about the, the supply chain issues where we had goods and services sitting out there in docks and they couldn't come in. We had a trucking situation where truckers weren't able to get there and, and bring the goods and services. Um, so supply and, the, and demand is so important in terms of when it comes to the economy. But getting back to your question about wage increases, if people have more money to spend, that affects their mindset and that will in some case have an impact on, on spending patterns, which could have an impact on the, on the economy, and it normally does historically. Ira, if you remember, we only have a little bit more time to talk with you, but I mm -hmm. called you about three or four months ago, and I said I had a, a, a limited sum of money, and I said, should I invest it now? And your response to me was the market was, the rates were low, it would be better to pay off debt. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. So if I had $1,000 today, what should I do with it? Okay. Well, you, you, you kind of gave an answer to that question when you said you called me up. And that goes back to my initial question or my initial statement where I said don't go it alone. But what you should do with whatever cash you have, again, talk to somebody that you trust, an, an advisor, and figure out exactly, like I said, where you want to be six months from now, 12 months from now, two years from now, three years from now. And sometimes you're better off paying down debt because people don't look at it this way. But if, you're, if you've got a, a credit card and you're paying 21% interest on it and you have a $1,000 balance, if you take that $1,000 and pay off that credit card, well, you just took that 21% cost out of your pocket. You no longer have to be responsible for that. So it's almost like getting a return back on your money without, at least how, as I look at it, without putting it in a, an investment that's going to make you money. But if you can get rid of debt, that's why one of my mantras with all my clients is, is let's try to manage debt down, including the mortgage. Because what you were paying on that debt on a monthly basis now becomes cash flow back in your pocket. If that mortgage or, or if that $1,000 debt was costing you, let's say, uh, $200 a month, you pay it off, you put that $200 a month back in your pocket. Now, what would you do with that $200 a month? Well, you have a plan for that. Maybe you say, well, I'll save up that $200 a month and, and just continue to put that towards my 401k plan or my IRA plan. So there's a number of things that you can do, but the, but the start is to figure out where you are <coughs> and where you want to be. What is cryptocurrency? Now we're talking about sophisticated topics that 
you know nothing about? <laughs> Cryptocurrency, the, the, the buzzword of the day. You remember the dot-com era? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cryptocurrency is a, uh, a digital currency. Um, it's, it, it came about back in 2008. It's, it's designed and utilized as an alternative to, to paper money uh, that is sponsored by your world central banks. And so it's, it's a way to, to, for a what we call peer-to-peer, person-to-person interaction with a form of currency. And that's what it, it does. It's, it's, just, it's just strictly for that, but it also has an opportunity to increase in value. But it is. It's, it's, a, it's a digital currency. It's not a paper currency. So for those of us who are still trying to figure out how to handle our paper, is cryptocurrency something that we should learn about, or is that level, is that the advanced class? If we're still at 101... Should we deal in crypto? <laughs> should we try to learn about cryptocurrency now, or should we just first get our house in order? Well, you can do it at simultaneously. Um, number one, you're going to get out of kindergarten, Doctor Doctor Iris. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's where I am. And you and you want to advance up to the PhD level, Doctor Iris and mm-hmm. Doctor Joe. <laughs> that happens as a result of education. So in answer to your question, Dr. Joe, yeah, you want to learn about it. I mean, it's all over the Internet. Uh, Again, if you have a financial advisor, that person can provide detailed information about it. Uh, But it's it's an alternative to paper money. And I have clients, just about every last one of my clients have called me up and, and asked me, Ira, tell me about cryptocurrency. What should I be doing? And my answer to them is this. If you want to invest in it, as the old saying goes, don't bet the farm on it. Hmm. I tell them, put a segment of money, you decide, 5000 1000 10000 whatever you have that you feel that you won't mind losing and not getting back, because that's what the possibility is, because there's high risk, there's high reward, but it's still unproven, it's still evolving. And so cryptocurrency is a way to, to advance uh, the return on your investment relatively quickly, but it's, it's so volatile, um, it, it will drop so quickly from one day to the next. So I say with cryptocurrency until the, 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 the industry itself becomes more defined and more organized, if you want to go into that, take a segment of money that if and, and put it in there and if you don't get it back you are okay with that but keep your main money working towards your overall long-term goals that's what happened back with uh, uh, dot com dot coms as you well know every day there was a new dot com coming out and the thing about dot com is, is that they never had any data to back up what they were saying they were making where are the dot coms today gone they're gone mm-hmm. so everybody or i won't say everybody some people made money but people who put money in there most people lost their money it's the same thing with an ipo i tell my clients they, they say they want to buy an ipo i say why well it has great possible return i said it has a greater possibility for loss what's ipo 
initial public offering. Okay, that means a startup company. It's a startup company. Oh, okay, I got you. I got you. Go ahead. You use the raise capital. You use the raise capital instead of going to the bank. And they want to get it on the front end. Yep. I got you. I got you. We have to say farewell, but I want you to leave your information for um, the listeners that would like to know more about the investment market from a credible source. Sure. Um, two things. Um, my phone number, three zero one. 218-8800 It's my office. My mobile, 240-441-9759. And last but not least, my uh, website is www.turpin, T-U-R-P as in Paul, I-N, Martin, M-A-R-T-I-N, Powell, P-O-W-E-L-L, dot com. And remember, he's a Buckeye. He, he may be living somewhere else, but his <laughs> roots are in Ohio. And we want to thank you so, so much for your advice. Um, and I certainly hope that we get out of whatever this current situation is with with the in, inflation because it's it's making me eat cornflakes but in the meantime he said have a plan and yep. work with somebody professionally yep. to plan it doctor i ain't gonna have to talk afterwards i think yep. i might have to take my lottery money and invest in mm-hmm. the bitcoin market i gotta I stay know. out of the shopping centers too. <laughs> thank let you me, let me just say one one last thing real quick for you about inflation there was a time back in the late 70s early 80s when inflation were, were, were let me say this where interest rates were at 12%. Interest. You could go to the bank and get 12% interest. But what people were, were, were not paying any, any attention to was that the inflation was at 21%. Now, I, I would be surprised if you guys would tell me that you remember 21% inflation. But that was in your adult years, your early adult years. 21% inflation. Can you imagine that? So it can't get worse. We want it to get better, and it will. But just know where you are and control what you can control and don't go it alone. Thank you so much, Ira, and I will speak with you soon. Okay, take care. Bye, Dr. Joe. Bye. Have a great day. You too. We have another investment economist on the phone, and we're going to introduce her before we have to take a break. Um, Her name is Karma Lacey. She's also a former Buckeye. But now she's out there on the beach in California looking at the world through a different lens. Are you there, Karma? Good afternoon, I am. Oh, are you on the beach? I'm not on the beach, but I'm not far. I understand. I understand. Um, let's, let's put something out there before we take the break. You are the Director of Workforce Development for the Orange County Government. What does that mean? Well, I'm actually the Director of Workforce and Economic Development for Orange County. And so what that means, I'm charged with ensuring the local health of the economy for Orange County, but also that I'm responsible for developing employment opportunities for the future of work. Um, I work with employers to create programs to get people 
um, trained and ready for future positions as well as current opportunities. That sounds like a big job. <laughs> That's not fake. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dr. Joe, so, so you are, and again, we're broadcasting from Ohio. You're in California. Are there, and this is a very broad question, but are there significant differences in what we should be thinking about in different parts of the country as it relates to this issue of how what's going on in the world impacts us individually and our finances? That's a great question. Uh, I think it's the same all over the United States. I think that we have a challenge before us that we should also be looking at you're fading in and out, Karma. Can you? I don't know what's going on, but you're fading in and out. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Um, so what I was saying is that it's a, it's a it's a challenge across the United States and actually all over the world. So we should all be looking at this uh, from the same lens of developing a future pipeline for employers, but also looking at the local economy and how are we going to get out of this. I think that we were all impacted by this pandemic. Um, maybe not the same industries, but in the same way. Carmen, can you help us understand employment again as it relates to us individually? It seems that when I go to restaurants now, when I go to retail stores, they're always short-staffed and service levels have declined. Are, are fewer people wanting to work? What's going on? That's a great question. So what I think happened is that people realize I don't want to do this work. And so what the pandemic did is allowed us to have the opportunity to evaluate our lives, what's important to us and what is not, what we are paid, um, as well as what is it that we want to do. I think that a lot of people during that period where they were stay-at-home orders were in place evaluated lives. Interesting enough, what happened during that stay-at-home period, about 4.4 new million businesses were created. So I don't think that it's a situation where people don't want to work. I think they've decided they no longer want to work in that capacity and are no longer accepting lower wages. So what are they doing? They're starting businesses. They're going back to school. Um, they are trying to find ways. Go ahead. Go ahead. Can't I apologize. Hear. I hear the background. Oh. Um, yeah, they're developing new. Yeah, they're developing and and they're developing themselves. They are really seeking opportunities to go out and figure out what it is that they want to do. In addition to that, there were over three million uh, adults over the age of fifty that decided to retire. So what happened in this workforce is you have a situation that compounded. You had people who are already not pleased with where their uh, where their lives were going in terms of their careers, and then you had individuals who were at the brink of retirement that decided to just go ahead and retire. So that's what we're seeing as a result of this pandemic. It's a it's a multi layered challenge um, that just was brought to the forefront earlier than expected. Okay, we're going to take a break right now and come back and and continue talking about um, the U.S. economy on the window. Did I really pay the price? Have I left you all alone? Someone sitting on my throne. We are back on the window. We're talking with Carmen Lacey about just what is going on in the world as it relates to the economy globally, nationally 
and in our own pocketbooks. And so we just had a guest on who talked to us about the importance of, of having a financial plan, but then stuff happens. And we know over the past few years, a big stuff happened. What about COVID? How did COVID impact us? And now that we're hopefully coming out of COVID, should we expect to see any significant changes of any type in the economy? Also a great question. Um, so the impact of COVID, uh, like I said, is multi-layered. I think that we truly don't know the impact of COVID just yet. Um, I think that when we were calculating the unemployment numbers, just so you know, when they calculate the unemployment numbers, they base it off of unemployment claims. There were a lot of Americans that decided that the unemployment process of applying was too cumbersome, so they didn't apply. So they lived off of their investments or savings, right? And so we truly don't know how many people were impacted and what the true number of unemployment was for this country. Um, I think that later on we'll figure out uh, just how many people were touched by this pandemic. Um, in terms of coming out of this, I think that, um, like I said, there was a compounding issue that we were already, prior to the pandemic happening, we were preparing for a recession. We knew that a recession was coming. What we didn't plan on is a pandemic on top of a recession. Um, and so as a result of that, I think that because we weren't prepared, there's a lot of money being thrown at this issue um, because we're not quite sure what to do, uh, meaning that we had a workforce that wasn't really ready. We had uh, the majority of our workforce prior to the pandemic was the baby boomers and the older, um, the older adults that were really driving our workforce. Um, the pandemic, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of them decided to retire. So now we've got these future generations that aren't prepared for work and haven't quite figured out what they want to do. Um, and because of that, um, I think we're going to have a slower return to the economy. Um, on top of that, we now have this war. Um, we now have the requirement of higher wages, which is going to drive up inflation. So it's, I think that it's a compounding problem that has not been solved, that it's continuing to grow. Um, because when you look at it, we don't have uh, a, an immediate solution to this. Like you said, when you visit restaurants right now, they, they said they're short staff, right? Um, so increasing minimum wage didn't fix the problem. Everybody didn't run back to work because of McDonald's was paying $18 an hour. Um, like I said, a lot of people evaluated their lives and decided that this isn't what I want to do. So now a lot of money is being filtered into education and training um, to encourage um, people to grow their skill sets and go back to work. On the flip side of that, you have the employers who are struggling to find employees, and, and what will likely happen is they'll start depending on artificial intelligence to fill those positions. And when people are ready to go back to work, some of those entry-level or service-level jobs won't be there. So education and training, I, I don't know if your role um, prepares you to speak to this, but among the costs that seem to be skyrocketing that we hear a lot of political talk about is the cost of getting educated and trained, especially at the, the college level. What about people who really do feel a need to have some additional training but just can't afford it? What can our economy do to assist with that process? Another great question. So the Biden administration plugged in about oh, several billion dollars over the next three years to invest in training. So across the United States, there are these centers called one-stop centers or workforce centers. Those centers are designed to create opportunities for just what you said, for workers who really need to be trained or trained or reskilled for work. 
um, those centers can evaluate those potential workers and provide at no cost training to help them get into the line of work that they want to or in-demand industries or careers. Uh, they also offer opportunities for subsidized um, education, meaning that um, if it is um, if you are assessed and it's determined that um, you are le- you you need to go back to school and you're likely to complete it, um, they will actually pay for it for you. Um, this administration has um, allocated billions of dollars to help people go back to school. Um, this is a great time to do that um, because so much money is being poured into. Um, this problem, um, and because there's not one solution, um, there's lots of money out there right now for everyone to go back, or a lot of people to go back to school. We also mentioned earlier in the show one of those unexpected life happened things, health care. Our health care industry, certainly, first, we owe a debt of gratitude that we just can't talk about enough in terms of their role of healthcare workers in getting us through this. But for those of us seeking healthcare, and the cost is cost prohibitive to say the least, what do we do about that as a country? Again, we've had talk about that in previous administrations. It seems like we've gotten bogged down in so many other things. We haven't talked a lot as a country about what to do about skyrocketing healthcare costs in a way that's impacted my pocketbook anyway. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question as well. Um, I think that um, the theory is that if we get you livable wages where you can actually thrive and survive, that you'll have the ability to pay for health care, right? Um, the thought is that if we invest in training programs to help upskill workers, that that would position them to be able to become self-sufficient. I think that the strategy right now in terms of workforce and economic development is training. Um, it's the development of programs like apprenticeships, um, like I said, uh, allocating money towards or investing money in um, education for those who can't afford it. Um, I think that when it comes to my line of work, our strategy is to invest in people so that they can take care of themselves. Now, Karma, when I talked with you earlier, you were trying to explain to me the new uh, picture of educating and training people. Can you talk about that virtual reality so that our listeners can know what to expect when they decide to go and learn a new trade? Yes. Uh, So the future of education will be very similar to gaming. Um, So I don't know if you're familiar with the Oculus device or Metaverse, um, but I myself am developing programs where I, I can teach people how to do everything from plumbing to healthcare using these goggles. Um, that will be the future of education. Is It's going to be remote. It's going to be um, a situation where you, you'll have classes with people from all over the world in your living room. Um, that is the future of education. That's the future of training. The brick-and-mortar design isn't working. Um, it's very costly. Um, I think that prior to the pandemic, only about 17% of uh, – well, there was 17% uh, graduation rate for college stu- – or dropout rate for college students. Um, they realize it doesn't work, and we have to be more flexible when it comes to education. And so the strategy to become more flexible when it comes to education is to create virtual platforms or convenient platforms for training. And that means that there's going to be some empty buildings that the government has to figure out what to do with. 
That's exactly right. And those empty buildings are, are we're looking at uh, redesigning them to become living spaces. So those office buildings downtown, that high rises, will uh, be outfitted for actual residential living. That That is the future of those brick and mortar buildings. Well, tell me this. I have to ask about my people. Um, black people, minorities, uh, people that don't come from a um, an affluent family. What is the government doing now to, for the special needs of minorities to help them get their footing economically? Uh, there are several strategies being done. So a lot of those workforce programs and that multi uh, or the three-year programs that I mentioned uh, focus is trying to get those resources in the hands of uh, underserved communities, such as African Americans. Um, so it's, it's, the intention is to really go out and provide outreach and information to those communities and let them know that, hey, if you are interested in, in, in gaining skills, if you're interested in um, really um, getting to a level of self-sufficiency, utilize these workforce programs that we've designed um, to support you. The other side of that is that there's a lot of money going into providing resources through the SBA and other programs for minority businesses or um, underserved communities. Um, there, there is um, several billion dollars allocated just for that as well as to help people because what we do know is that not everybody wants to go back to work for someone else. A lot of people um, will become entrepreneurs and um, I've mentioned to you before that the future of work looks like 1099 employees because it's cheaper for companies to have a 1099 employee than it is to actually hire you on. So in order for us to get to that part or that place, we need to educate people on how to run their own businesses, how to position yourself to be a 1099 employee or a contract contractor. So there's a lot of money being allocated to do just that, to teach you how to start and run your own business so that your work or, or your talent um, can be used in the way you see fit. A 1099 employee, can you explain that for those that don't know what that means? So, yeah, a 1099 employee is where you can actually work for an organization or contract with an organization to provide your service. So it's very similar to those what we call gig workers. Um, the future, I think the 20, 30-year future of work looks like gig workers, uh, where people kind of pick and choose what work they want to do and what employers or what companies that they want to work for or work with. Um, so that's what we mean by when we say 1099 employees is that you are your own employer. You're responsible for your own insurance. You're responsible for coming in, your own uh, management, uh, so to speak, of yourself. Um, you don't necessarily have a boss. You are your own boss because you are your own company. Okay, okay. What do you see in the future in economy for workers? we got three minutes to talk about that. That's a, that's a very loaded question. It depends on what future you're talking about. Are you talking about in the near future or 30, 40, 50 years from now? No, I'm talking about in the near future. I'm not going to be here in 30, 40 years. So I just want to know about what's happening, let's say, in 2023 and 20, 2025. 20, 20, what's happening right now is, is, is we are going to start shifting to, to encourage people to find work, to either find education, find training, or find work. Um, our economy will not last if we don't have people actually doing the work, right? Um, so where um, a lot of the uh, 
stimulus funding went out to um, help people, I guess, position them while they were stay at home. A lot of people, like I said, paid off bills. They didn't actually go out and buy cars. Um, so they learned how to survive with less. Um, but because they've learned how to survive without less, they're not in a hurry to go back to work. Um, so what will happen is, is, is different economies across the U.S. will start trying to incentivize people to get back to work. Um, I think you saw where the White House is actually trying to bring their employees back to work. Um, so you'll see a lot of that, a lot of incentives to bring people back to work, a lot of incentives to try to get people to take on new jobs, a lot of incentives for education and training. Okay. Um, this is a great time to look for a job. This is the perfect time. If you are tired of your boss, this is the perfect time to look for a job because you can actually negotiate um, a higher salary, more benefits. If, if, for all the listeners, if, I, if, if one thing I wanted to, to allow you to take away today, today is a day to look for a job. One last question. If looking for a job takes you to another city, the cost of housing, the cost of rent, is just astronomical. Great time to sell and get your equity out of your homeowner, but but what is the situation with that? Another loaded problem. So <laughs> when I said that this was a compound problem, it's truly a compound problem. I, I think we all know that the, the housing costs have skyrocketed. Um, when I talk about this is a great time to find a job, this is a great time to negotiate your pay to say that, hey, wait a minute, if I'm relocating to your community, the cost of living here is significantly higher. This is what I demand in order for me to, to, to take on this, this new employment opportunity for your organization. Um, you're right. The, the housing has skyrocketed. There are a lot of uh, government programs um, designed to help people become homeowners, to save their homes. Um, there are a lot of um, regu- uh, laws that are being implemented to prevent some of this out-of-overseas out of, out of overseas investors buying up land because that's part of the problem of how the housing prices skyrocket. Um, but again, it's not something that's going to be fixed overnight. It's a compound problem. We, we might have to go back to communal living. That's what we did in our culture. Go, Dr. I and I might be the golden the girls. The golden girls. Yes, yeah, that's, that's right. right. That's right. Um, we're almost out of time, but uh, Karma, don't you miss the Buckeye State? I miss uh, my family and friends. I miss the love of the Buckeye State. Yeah. Well, we have sunshine here, too. We don't have the ocean, though. No, we don't have the ocean. (laughs) I understand that. But in any event, we certainly appreciate the information you've shared with us today. Um, And um, if if someone wants more information about workforce development and and the whole future of work, where would you advise them to go? That's a great question. Go to careersonestop.com. Say that again. Say it again. Careersonestop.com. Um, I would also suggest that they look me up on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to share information with them about uh, resources that are available to them in their local community. Spirit, spell your name for us if people can it's look you C- up on LinkedIn. That's, uh, that's C-A-R-M-A and the last name is L-A-C-Y. Karma Lacey. Okay. Have a plan, everybody. Be a person with a plan. Right, right, right. And um, we are delighted that you joined us today. And we're going to have to say goodbye to you. Um, We wish everyone well. Get out and get some sun wherever you are. And we'll talk to you next week on The Window. Have a good day.